Welcome to episode 131 of the Blokebusters podcast. I'm Paul, and today we're going to be talking about a 2019 film, a little film, you may have heard of it. Uh, it's called Knives Out, and to help me out on this one, I have re-enlisted a friend of the podcast and relatively frequent flyer, <laughs> Janelle Megan. How you doing? Hi, it's so good to be back. Thank you for asking me to come back. I know it's been a while, but I'm really excited <laughs> to talk about this with you. Uh, yeah, th- this one, basically, you just posted that you had only just seen it. And <laughs> uh, that was kind of a thing. It's like, Hang on a second, I never did an episode on that, so, yeah, I'm a so bit, here we are today. I'm a bit behind. I'm a bit behind on most movies and TV shows. Like, I'm likely going to see everything a year after it's come out, so, you know, just in time. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's not like you just had a year and a half with nothing to do, where you could have been binging these things, but, uh, yeah. no, no, it's fine. In- instead, I'm just watching, rewatching Lost and Buffy and all the classics <laughs> instead of watching anything new. <laughs> yeah, you know, as is tradition. Uh, but no, yes, uh, yeah, is it, that is always the uh, the difficult thing, isn't it? You add everything to your queue, and then you just go straight back to what you've been watching because that's what you've been watching. <laughs> exactly. Wait, actually, I'll share with you what I'm watching now because maybe you'll get a kick out of it. I started. Okay. I just had a trip, um, and on the plane, there's like limited things to watch on the plane. I started watching Castle. <laughs> But this TV show from, like, years ago that I don't think anybody's even talking about anymore, but it's several seasons in, and I just started watching it, and that's currently what I'm binging. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Yeah, I I watched that uh, with my wife uh, fairly religiously for the first three seasons, and then it was one of those things where we just kind of missed an episode. And then we just didn't pick it back up again because of everything that was going on. Um, so, so yes, uh, I do want to get back into it because I, I know it finished. So I would like to see how it finished. I was a big fan of that show and especially how uh, how self-referential it was in a couple of things, including uh, the obvious Firefly reference that they did for a Halloween episode, which was amazing. Uh, but, uh, I haven't gotten to that uh, yet. That I'm very much looking forward to that. <laughs> yeah, I'll see, you'll, you'll know which one it is because it's literally the first shot of the episode. Like you, you'll know it. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it, it's uh, it's really well done. And and then they like, they move straight on with it. Like they don't, they don't linger on it too much. But it, it is uh, uh, the one thing I will say is uh, for that opening of that episode. Um, it's extra funny if you remember when that episode aired. Okay. Because they, they say, they say a certain amount of time that links up to Firefly. So. Oh, um, so it's kind of a meta, like, wink to the audience. That's very Very much so. 
Yeah. <laughs> That's uh, I'm but very very fun. I mean, it kind of but it kind of ties them in knives out because it's very much like a mystery based show. Like I feel like a lot of the twist you can definitely you know, like kind of that Agatha Christie kind of feel. So it's kind of the same realm <laughs> of what we're talking yeah. about today. Yeah, very much. Um, and uh, speaking of Knives Out, may as well get the uh, the nuts and bolts out of the way for that as well. So directed by Ryan Johnson, as uh, many people might know him as, uh, depending on your thoughts, the person that did a fantastic job or the person that absolutely ruined uh, The Last Jedi. Uh, so, <laughs> it, yeah, I, 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 I am of the opinion that that film was not bad. So, yeah, uh, I, do you, I don't. Do you think he's been forgiven it, now, thanks to this movie? <laughs> I mean, I think the problem is that the Star Wars fandom is so uh, like such a, a powder keg that there was not going to be a way of making that film that satisfied everyone or even the majority of people. I agree. Because, yeah, so many people wanted more of the same. So many people wanted something different. And then he did a relatively good job of trying to thread that line, but furthering the plot that was handed to him. And uh, I, I have absolutely no qualms in saying that I think the ending of that film is probably one of the best endings to any of the Star Wars films. I agree. But, but yeah, they, he was never going to satisfy everyone, and of course, vitriol online ensued, as it usually does. <laughs> so, yeah, very passionate uh, yeah. fans, which, I mean, I, I get it. No, you know, I can't please everybody, and I do feel like... No. The Star Wars, the Star Wars, Star Wars. God, they're going to come for me now. Um, Star Wars has such a passionate community of very diverse fans of all ages and who have, you know, been brought to it at different stages of their life and and things like that, that you're really not going to please everybody. So it's unfortunate that, you know, you have to hate on things, but I also do get it. You know, you want to protect those things that mean stuff to you. Yeah, and and recently I, I did a a thing where I watched the initial trilogy for the first time ever uh, on on this podcast. So yeah, that, that was interesting, watching those and then seeing the things that were in The Last Jedi and those, um, and the most recent trilogy, and recognizing, oh, that's what that's from. <laughs> oh, I see now. Uh, yeah, that, uh, very interesting. Uh, uh, oh. Also, uh, some people may know him from uh, also a film called Brick, which uh, I believe was one of his uh, one of his first ones. Might not have been his first ever one, but it was uh, one of his early ones from two thousand five with Joseph Gordon Levitt. And actually, supposedly, he came up with the basic idea for Knives Out after he made that film. So. Oh wow! Uh, he, that's but that's a skateboarding movie, isn't it? Maybe not. <laughs> It's not skateboarding. No, it's it's uh, it. It was his directorial debut, and uh, it is a hard-boiled detective story set in a California suburb. But most of the main characters are high school age. Oh, interesting. Okay, I have to check that out. That sounds really good. But that makes more sense because I didn't know he had like a mystery background. That's really fascinating, actually. Yeah, and and Judge Gordon Levitt plays the main character in it. Uh, it uh, that was actually something that my uh, 
my university housemates, they watched it one evening when I was working. And then they were telling me how good it was, but I just never got around to watching it. And it has been a while since then. So I need to sit down and watch it uh, at, whenever I find the time at this point. Uh, yeah, You'll get around to it eventually, just like you said. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, it's in my queue. It's in there somewhere. Uh, uh, but yes, uh, so this was made on a budget of about $40 million. I'm assuming the majority of that went to the cast. Um, and uh, the box office worldwide of three hundred and eleven million six hundred five thousand five hundred eighty-one U.S. dollars. So, yeah, it did quite well. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it did fairly well for itself. Um, so well, in fact, that uh, it turns out Netflix has agreed to pay over four hundred and fifty million dollars for the right to make two sequels to this film. Oh, uh, wow. To be written and directed by Ryan Johnson. And filming for Knives Out 2 officially began in June. That's very so. exciting, honestly. And I, I think I heard that it's kind of, it's going to be about a different family or a different mystery, but with Daniel Gregg still as the main yes. character, which I love yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, it's gonna definitely going to be interesting. Um, and uh, obviously we'll, uh, we'll cover, uh, I think about that in a little bit uh and i'm not going to say who everyone plays in this because there's too many people to list off at the beginning we'll obviously get to it but uh anna de Armas as martha the main character and then daniel craig chris evans jamie lee curtis michael shannon uh don johnson tony collette christopher Plummer, uh like just so many people including i haven't heard of any of these people actually <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I know. I, there's loads. Of... Just a just a bunch of no names. <laughs> what like a nice little indie? Yeah, what, one of them was in like a, a Boned film or something recently. I don't know. Uh, but uh, <laughs> uh, but yeah, th- th- there's a couple of people in this that uh, are just a little bit surprising, and I'll mention them now because they're not. They're probably not going to be really brought up after this just because of how little their roles are um joseph gordon levitt is has an audio cameo in this uh as a detective heard over the radio uh and then and then frank oz is in this as in the voice of miss piggy fozzy bear animal and sam eagle (laughs) from the muppets oh wow yeah so like he performed them and he was the voice of them uh he is Alan Stevens, who is Harlan's counsel in this film. So, yeah, they, no they got way. a Muppet guy. Wow. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I would not have guessed that he was the Muppet guy. That's a very yeah. fun fact. It is. <laughs> um, and, and yeah, obviously it's it fun that he did it and that he did that. But, again, I, I can't think of any way to bring that back up to this. So just figured people might find that interesting and we'll move on. Um, <laughs> Uh, but yes, uh, I guess my first question to you, you've kind of partially answered it already, but uh, what made you sit down and watch this in the first place? Um, I think it was a combination of everyone had been telling me to watch it and I was really sick of hearing people tell me to watch it. <laughs> um, <laughs> to be fair, though, that was like a year ago when it first came out. And then right. another thing was, so I don't, I'm sure you're familiar with Letterboxd, the app. I am, yes. So I was looking for a, like, 
fall movie, um, like kind of like a cozy fall movie, but that wasn't like spooky or scary, like Halloween movie. And I just searched okay. fall movie lists on Letterboxd and I was just going through because I was in the mood to watch a movie that was like in the fall spirit. And Knives Out was one of the things that was on all of these lists. And I was like, well, I think I think today's the day because I'm in a fall mood and I'm in a mystery kind of spirit. Um, I don't know if that's a strange answer, but that's just kind of how my brain works is I have to be in the mood to watch something. And that's kind of how I eliminate what I want to watch. <laughs> <laughs> No, that, that 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 makes sense. I get that. It's it's very difficult to sit down and watch something that you're not actually in the mood for. Uh, that there there have been. I'll I'll admit there've been a couple of times where I've been doing something for one podcast or another, and I get through it. But it's not exactly the thing that I would be choosing to watch of an evening. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, um, I I remember hearing about this one and thinking. Yeah, that sounds really interesting. I definitely want to watch it. And then I didn't get the chance to see it in the cinema. I wanted to, and I had planned on it, and then it was just, you know, you just can't get out. Couldn't really find the time to do it. Um, you know, my, my daughter would have been, let's see, this came out, this came out just after her third birthday. So, yeah, she... Yeah, she wasn't exactly at the age where we could just leave her at home and go out and to the cinema and we weren't going <laughs> to take her to see this film because there's no way she'd sit through it. Um, that wasn't the best alone. birthday present for her, I guess. <laughs> uh, yeah, you're going to come and see an adult film that you're not going to pay any attention to, care any about any of the characters or anything like that, but you're going to go see it, damn it. Uh, Happy no, birthday. Um, <laughs> yeah, and it... it it was something that I figured I would enjoy, and then uh, it came to streaming, and I was like, okay, I'm going to check it out, and I did, and it was one of the things that was like, I wish I'd seen it in the cinema, uh, but uh, luckily for me, uh, I had not had anything spoiled. I'd had absolutely no spoilers land in my Facebook feed or on Twitter or anything like that, which is a bit of a surprise. Because yeah. you, usually for these sorts of films, if I'm not careful, I'll see something. Uh, yeah, but if I don't get to see it when it's first out or anything like that. Now, in this day and age where a lot of films have been coming out in the cinema and on streaming because of, you know, just a little something that's been going on, um, it's been a lot easier for me to see something before the dam breaks on social media uh but uh but there's still a few things that uh, i've had spoiled for me including uh actually for squid game there was a particular thing in that that got spoiled for me that i will not go into any details about uh because i do not wish for anyone to uh, even potentially guess as to what the thing is but um yeah i had something spoiled for me because it was Someone shared an article, and you know how sometimes it will give you like a little blurb of the article when they shared it. Yeah. Uh, like just that, just that blurb was enough to spoil one particular thing that I was two episodes away from. Oh. Uh, so yeah, it was uh, uh, a little frustrating, but it wasn't something that broke the thing for me or anything like that. So I wasn't too 
uh, saddened by it. It was just like, oh, that would have been nice. Uh, but, uh, uh, yes, um, anyone listening to this that hasn't, go see Squid Game. Uh, yeah, maybe even someone on this podcast is listening. Go see. <laughs> uh, but, uh, but yes, know, no, uh, I'll watch it two years <laughs> from now, just like I did with Knives Out. Don't you worry. <laughs> Okay, there we go. So yeah, in about three years we can sit down and talk about it. Uh, no. But um, all right. But for me, for not spoilers, but I don't know about you, but the like I feel like the hubbub around this movie was that it was a comedy. I don't. Maybe I like read into things wrong, but I feel like everyone was like talking about how funny it was and things like that. So I went into it thinking it was a comedy, which it is. It has comedic elements. But that definitely, like, kind of messed with my first viewing. So it wasn't a spoiler necessarily, but it definitely, like, messed with my viewing of the movie when I, like, was halfway in. And I was like, oh, no, this is a, this is not a ha-ha funny <laughs> comedy movie. This is, like, a dark, kind of twisted comedy with, like, mostly just yeah. a mystery. So that, like, it's not yeah. a spoiler, but the same thing can happen with films and TV shows where it's, like, even just people talking about it in a certain way can ruin your perspective of it. Yeah, that, absolutely. And it's it's interesting because I, I went into this expecting it to be a whodunit because what little I had seen did portray it as a whodunit type film. Uh, I also knew that Chris Evans plays a character that was very against what he has recently been playing uh so it was uh, it was kind of fun to see that um and i think most people when they're thinking of oh it's so funny are thinking of either chris evans's character or daniel craig's accent mm-hmm. um and uh so yeah I, I think that most people kind of focus on that and probably talk about that the most because those are the things that were um like in this film that are safe to talk about uh without spoiling some of the things in it i think those are the things that are easiest and most fun to talk about um just in general conversation with other people uh you know now obviously when you're actually sitting down and seriously discussing the film there's loads of stuff in here that's fun to talk about but uh <laughs> but i think that that was probably what you were running into there. <laughs> so many people focusing on something that sounds funny, and then you sit down and watch it, it's like, oh, no, the rest of it definitely is not that. <laughs> definitely. So, so, yeah. Um, well, I'll, I'll let you lead the charge, uh, since you were very gung-ho about this. So um, uh, what would you like to talk about first with this film? Oh, um. I mean, I guess I am a huge fan of mysteries, and I feel like one thing that this does really well that kind of, like, nods to, like, Agatha Christie... Wait, we're we're doing spoilers and all that, right? Absolutely, <laughs> okay, yes. Anyone listening to any of these episodes, we spoil everything. Okay, yes. they, already, they already know. Okay, great. Um, so one thing I think that this movie does really well, kind of, like, a nod to, like, the Agatha Christie novels and, like, you know, all the great mysteries kind of from film and TV and books and all that is just by making all of the characters so distinctive. Um, I think that all the actors did a really, really amazing job, like, fully owning their character. Like, every, like immediately, as soon as the film starts, you get a picture of who these people are. You can imagine their entire lives. You can imagine, you know, why they potentially could have murdered somebody. 
And they're all immediately likely suspects. And I think it immediately introduces you to this really delicious world of like, oh, they all might be guilty. Um, and they all have their own special motivations. And I just think that was that whole introduction scene, I think is just done so, 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 so well. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I rewatched it um, today uh, before the podcast. And yeah, I mean, this film could just be called Chekhov, the movie, because this <laughs> film is absolutely littered with Chekhov's guns. Um, it is insane the amount of callbacks there are in this film. Uh, that, because almost... Almost without exaggeration, the first half of this film is entirely set up, and the second half of this film is entirely payoff for those setups. It, it, there's, it, I, I could argue there's not an act one, two, and three. There's an act one and an act two um, for this film because it's just it, it is so well done, um, and and quite clearly a love letter to that that whole style of thing to the Agatha Christie to the. Um, Oh, what's the what's the name of the guy with the moustache? Sherlock Holmes. No, Poirot. Um, that's that guy. Yeah, I mean, obviously, yeah, Sherlock Holmes. Depending on the does depiction. he have a moustache? Yes, Not a hundred percent sure. <laughs> I think in one or two things he does. Um, at the very least, Watson does in a couple of episodes of the Sherlock TV show. Mm-hmm. Uh, but. Uh, <laughs> Yeah, no, they like to, to that old, old style of stuff. Um, and and for anyone that hasn't watched it, uh, I don't know how easy it would be to find outside of the UK if you do not have a VPN. Uh, but um, Jonathan Creek is a great TV show that was in the it was in the nineties, a little bit in the two thousands, and they did a couple of things recently. Uh, and he is a magician's um, he's the guy that comes up with the tricks for magicians and then he solves the impossible crimes like figuring out what's going on there so like, it, it's uh, it's really interesting uh, but it stars it starred people that outside of the UK you really wouldn't recognize um, the uh, the main guy is uh, portrayed by Alan Davis who is a comedian in the UK who hasn't really come outside of the UK very much. Uh, and the people that have been his sort of second in some of the series, uh, again, fairly well-known within UK comedy and TV shows, but not much outside of it. Um, the one that would be the most famous, I think, in the US would be, uh, I think, the second season. Uh, the person who plays his sort of co-detective role... Uh, is the person who plays Jen in the IT crowd, uh, whose name is escaping me right now, which is a bit frustrating. But uh, um, uh, she she's really good in that. Uh, but yeah, it it is fun, and it knows exactly what it is. Uh, but uh, <laughs> but the mysteries are very good, um, and uh, and sometimes uh, like documented around either some old Sherlock stuff or some like. Uh, uh, actual like riddles and things like that so um so it, it, it's really cool to watch that and then in this it was so interesting to to see what it actually ended up being um i thought they did it was almost red herring overload in that you could kind of figure out some of it 
mm-hmm. but there was no way you were going to get all of it <laughs> in one go uh, just because uh, the actual and obviously jumping ahead to the end here um, the fact that she actually gave Harlan the correct medication just out of muscle memory rather than reading the thing like that. Yeah, but I don't understand how they knew that. That's one thing That's one thing I don't understand. Like, I don't understand how they knew that. Like, I know that that was, like, part of it, but I don't understand how, how they knew that fact. Like, I know that that was, you know, like, I know that that was part of it, but I just, that part confused me. Yeah, I think, I think what's supposed to be happening there is, uh, again, along the Sherlock lines, he is correctly assuming that she is good enough at her job that she knows just instinctively like which vials to use um like because she is a very good nurse so so yeah he and obviously there's a limited amount of suspension of disbelief and willingness to go along with it otherwise the ending does kind of fall apart a bit fair fair i just gonna be looking at threads or you know (laughs) No, no, I mean, like, it's absolutely fine. That is kind of what we do. Uh, but I think the idea is supposed to be that, like, she... And I think it's even alluded to in it. I don't remember the exact wording um, uh, from the dialogue. But he does tell her, like, yeah, you do know that you gave him the right medication. Like, yeah, obviously the, the writing was... Uh, the writing on the bottles were different. But, like, she still knew that she gave him the right medication mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, but then everything played out as it did so like it it was something i i don't remember if it's something about the specific weight or like i i, I cannot remember if it was the weight or if it was like the way that it feels when you're moving it um i uh, but uh, but that was something that he said at the end is that like you could tell just from holding it which one was which because of how it felt in your hand that does, so that does make sense because one of them was like 500 milligrams the other one was like three milligrams or something so like you would like essentially hopefully be able to feel that difference i'm guessing yeah well that uh, that was the dosage i think it was uh, it was 100 milligrams for the medicine he's supposed to get and then the three milligrams for the um for the morphine and but i imagine there'd be more there'd be less morphine than there would because the dosage is smaller that's what that's what my right, thought process yeah. is. You'd think so. Putting and on my Agatha Christie was... hat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's it was interesting that um, uh, I I really enjoyed how they gave you the information in this film. Because, yes. Because the way that most whodunits work, and obviously it's a it's a bit of a. Um, Again, a bit of a red herring, but it's not because it's actually what happened. Um, you know, you get first off, you get to see everyone's idea of how the party went, and you get to see that. And something that was so well done is that you get to see the same scene, but from everyone's viewpoint. So every single person talking sees themselves as standing next to him as he receives his cake. Um, like I didn't even notice that. Everyone talking puts himself in a different like part of the room, or stuff like that. Like um, uh, there's there's one. I, I don't remember if it's at the beginning or if it's a little bit later on, but it's quite clear that nobody in the party, aside from I think, I think it's Meg, 
Um, but nobody in the family actually knows where Marta is from. <laughs> like, no, nobody, nobody actually knows. Yeah. Um, so, so they keep giving different, uh, different things for that. And so it is, it's so interesting to see like all these different viewpoints. And then we, we do get to see the things that happened and how they then portray that. Uh, and then when we get Marta, uh, being interviewed, we just get everything. Mm. <laughs> That normally doesn't happen in these films, and yeah, uh, I was really again. surprised that when that happened, I was like, "Wait, they're telling us exactly what happened," and it's I would add, I like literally checked the time on the movie. I was like, "How long has this movie been on so far?" It totally threw me <laughs> off balance, but I think from like a writing and acting perspective, that's like a really different way to do a whodunit in that way of like, okay, let's show you everything, and then actually unpack the mystery from here um because then we're also more invested in marta you know we're more invested in her journey and as she starts to work with the detective we're both like are we rooting for a killer right now you know all those moments where she's like kind of sabotaging the um evidence you know with the footprints and stuff like that like it, it takes you and it kind of throws you off balance while you're watching it because you're like, who am I rooting for? Are we actually solving the mystery? Because we already solved the mystery. <laughs> you know, it lures you yeah. into this false <laughs> sense of security almost during a mystery film, which I think is such an interesting way to do it. Yeah, it, it, it was really cool because obviously you get to see some of the duplicity from the family, but then we get every single piece of information we need for the entire film for Marta. So they, and, and as you say, everyone kind of gets on her side because we see that, uh, at least as far as we know, it was a genuine mistake that, mm-hmm. yeah, she, she clearly, she clearly likes him. He clearly trusts her. There's like no ill intent whatsoever. And then, yeah, Harlan Did- himself is the one telling her how to get away with it because he doesn't want, her or her family to get in trouble but did you at any point think because like i don't know i feel like i there was definitely points where i was like is she like the femme fatale that's just like gonna fool the audience the whole time and like because there were certain like it was shot really really well where there were certain moments where she was like smiling like i feel like there was things that at least i read into that i was like maybe she's maybe this was all just part of her game maybe she's just really really good and, like, this is all all a plan. I don't know. Did you ever, like, as far as solving the mystery goes, like, did you have any theories like that? I I don't think I ever thought that she was this, like, 100%, you know, spy type character who was had always intended to wheedle her way in and do this. Uh, mostly because uh, enough of the family were accusing her of that, that... I thought it would have been a bit cheap to end up being that in the end. Um, like, because uh, there was a point where I was kind of thinking, like, okay, is there something that we haven't seen yet? Like, is there anything else that mm-hmm. potentially could sully it a little bit and could uh, show us that even though she didn't intend to do it, once she found out about the money, like, like now she's happy about like you know um mm-hmm. but uh but uh that there were there as i said there were so many members of the family that 
you know, the second they were inconvenient in any way, shape or form, uh, would immediately jump to, well, clearly this is all like all of this sort of stuff. And, and I felt that this wasn't quite the film that would have then at the very end had the turn and grin to camera moment. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, that, that would have felt something more out of, um, well, funnily enough, a Halloween type film, like yeah, you know, uh, sure, you know, one of the one of those types of films that uh, that I don't see, I don't, I didn't see that coming from Ryan Johnson. <laughs> That's fair. I mean, it was mostly just like the first half that I had that thought. Once she like got all the money, then I was like, oh, okay, clearly I see what's happening here. But it was just like that first little like maybe like you know, half of the movie before that happened where I was like, ooh, I wonder if that's going to be the twist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I I did think that like when I was first watching this, I was initially starting to think when they were introducing everyone and everyone and everyone and everyone. <laughs> uh, like I was initially starting to think like, okay, is this too many people to follow? Because mm-hmm. obviously, yeah, uh, if, you, if you actually go through it, uh, I haven't counted yet, but there's um, there's Linda and Richard, and then Ransom uh, on the one side, and then you've got Walt and his wife. Uh, then you've got Joni, who is the widow of uh, Harlan to see son. Uh, you've got Meg, who is Joni's daughter. You've got Jacob, who's Walt's son, uh, <laughs> and and then you've got some of the other uh, people that worked in the house. You've also got uh, you got uh, Harlan's mother is still around. <laughs> like there, there are so many people in this that I was initially thinking, are they going to be able to flesh these people out enough that we will be interested in what's going on? Because uh, yeah, the I would argue that a standard Hollywood film, if they were going to have something like this, we would get probably, I think, three or four of them would have had fully fleshed out character arcs, and then the rest would be set dressing. Um, mm-hmm. they, they would be in scenes, they would be contributing dialogue, and that's about it. Uh, but in this, everyone had significant moments. Everyone had significant character beats. Um, like, yeah. and in the end, you really did realize, I think Meg, even, even though by the end, there was still a little bit of like, eh, about that. Like, I, I think she was the most, um, like most relatable, uh, for want of a better term, uh, <laughs> out of everyone. And I don't know if that's just because she, um, overall seemed to treat Marta the best. Um, uh, just in, yeah, in the long run, mm-hmm. uh, obviously it's not, she doesn't treat her the best 100% of the time, but, uh, uh, but yeah, she, the most genuine so, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. It's, uh, it's funny that you're mentioning yeah, I, like how many characters, um, because now that you're mentioning it, it like reminds me a little bit of a play. Where a lot of the times, you know, you have all these characters and usually they're on stage the whole time. But, you know, you get to know all of them. But, like, for the most part, you're getting to know them through each other almost. Which I think is kind of sort of really similar to what this film does. Where 
a lot of the times we're getting to know them, you know, they're in a group together, they're chatting, they're, you know, they're as a family, you know, that's when their personalities come out besides that, like, opening scene where they're being interrogated, which I think to me is, like, kind of very similar to how a play does it, where, you know, you're, you're not just, they're not just having their solo journeys, they're having this journey, like, as a family as well. Speaking of a play, actually, um, I don't know... Uh, I don't know if you are aware of it, um, but there is something that I I read as part of my uh, English studies when I was at school. Uh, it was a play called An Inspector Calls. And this film has very clear uh, like vibes of that. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, just as a, as a very brief explanation for people who may not know what that is. Uh, it is a, a play set in the home of a sort of upper middle class family. Uh, I don't remember the year, but it's, I believe it's set pre-World War I. Um, uh, Post-Victoria time, but uh, pre-World War I, so somewhere in there. And uh, there is... A family that's there and then an inspector turns up and starts asking them questions about uh, a young woman who has just committed suicide. And he keeps asking them like about bits and pieces and things keep coming out that basically indicate that everyone in the family has a role in this woman's suicide. And uh, spoilers for the play. Um, at this point uh, I'm going to say but uh, um, at the end he leaves and they receive a phone call saying that a young woman has just committed suicide and the police are on their way to question them and so I wasn't expecting that from this film uh, but just my memory of the play and uh, and everything in that like as i was watching this i was like this feels very like that mm-hmm. um, it, was, it was very interesting so so i recommend people check it out i know that there have been at least one or two film and tv adaptations of it so uh, so it's definitely out there for people that wish to to look it up uh and and i do recommend it but uh yeah i um one of one of my English classes, I think it was across two days. Um, we went around the room and uh, like read through the play and sort of acted it out, as it were, um, and then spent the following class discussing it. So yeah, it was um, uh, very fun. Um, what part did you get that, to play in the acting out of it? <laughs> uh, I think I was. I believe there's a son um, in it, so. Um, so at that point, I was uh, uh, I was the son for a bit of it, because um, because um, uh, the way that my my teacher did it when I was at school is uh, he would he would have us reading through the play. So we did it with that one. We did it with um, the Merchant of Venice, and we also did it with um, uh, a view from a bridge. Oh wow! Uh, and so yeah, and so what what he would do is he would start at one end of the class. And just kind of have us work our way down. And so, like, um, however many characters were in the scene, he would have that many people and kind of assign. And then we'd read the scene. And then for the next scene, it would cut to the next group of people. And so it would just rotate round. So, like, everyone would do that. And and um, and as, as it went round, when it came back to you, you played the same character if that character was in the scene. So, like, you would go around. So, I, so for this one, I was... Um, I believe it was the sun every time that one came up. Um, yeah, it was, uh, uh, it, 
definitely an interesting way to do it. And um, like thinking back on it, uh, it must have been fun for him to sit back and just watch all of these different versions mm-hmm. of the characters. Um, I mean, yeah, some people were just reading lines. Some people actually got into it. Um, you know, we, we weren't getting up and acting it out. Um, yeah, because uh, it wasn't drama class. It was English class. So we stayed sitting. <laughs> but, um, but yeah, no, it was um, it, interesting to us. And to this day, uh, The Merchant of Venice is the only Shakespeare play I've ever read. Really? Uh, yeah, uh, Shakespeare was not my thing. Um, I I appreciate his work. Um, I appreciate that, uh, that uh, his stuff is definitely classic. We got to see uh, some people came to our school and did a amateur production of Macbeth. So uh, one afternoon, yeah. all of us got to go and sit in the the great hall as it would be um it obviously wasn't a great hall but uh sod it i'm taking harry potter and doing that <laughs> we all sat in the great hall um and they performed in the center of the room the entirety of macbeth um and that was really fun to watch uh but uh, but yeah no the bard never truly interested me i i really really encourage you to go see a professional shakespeare performance because I think that might change your mind. Because the fact that the only Shakespeare that you've really experienced was like an amateur production, I feel like you might be missing out on a little bit of something. Oh. <laughs> um, it oh, might change I, your opinion. Well, that's the thing. I'm I'm sure that seeing a full, uh, like you know, a full production, yeah, you know, somewhere like uh, there there was there was a chance that I was going to see a Shakespeare play in the west end but uh it was one of those things where it was either that or something else mm. and the something else won out as like an overall vote in the family so we went and saw that and dead i think in that particular instance it was we had the chance to go and see a, a west end production of a shakespeare play i can't remember which one it was or wicked and so we wow. ended up going to see wicked that's um, obviously going to be the family favorite, but <laughs> I definitely encourage if you ever get the chance to go see um, a Shakespeare performance by professionals. Don't go to an amateur right. one. <laughs> go to like professionals because <laughs> an oh, no, amateur yes, one uh... can be a little brutal. Not going to lie. <laughs> but if, if people know what they're doing, it's a lot of fun. Yeah. I mean, the, uh, yeah, I'll... I'll say flat out, like to my memory, the people that were doing it um, did a very good job, uh, especially the scene where uh, trying to remember um, it's Macbeth in front of a fountain, basically, and he's uh, he's going on. I think it's uh, where it's uh, it's either the dagger scene or uh, or shortly after, um, and so like you know. He, he's at the fountain and he's washing his face uh, from time to time and then at the end of the scene he reaches into the same fountain and it's just blood that kicks his face and he walks off um and then afterwards we got to talk with them about it and uh, he like someone was like okay so how'd you do that and he he showed us the you know behind the scenes of mm. how they did the the blood in the fountain so like it i, I remember it being well acted out now i was 14 so <laughs> I might I didn't necessarily have the most experience outside of that when it comes to play. So you were just uh, impressed yeah. by the blood. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, it, that was 
that was one of the most interesting things in the play. So, uh, <laughs> so yes, that was five stars. We'll see again. Yeah, now, um, I mean, like, actually, even coming back to this, the one thing from this film that I 100% saw coming um, and it didn't diminish my enjoyment of it at all, but I knew where it was going about two minutes before it happened. Um, and it was right at the end when Ransom goes to stab Marta. Like, oh. I knew exactly where that was headed because, um, I don't know if you'll remember, there is a line that Harlan says at the beginning when we see Marta's flashback to what was happening when she was doing that whole medicine thing. Uh, when she starts, like, seriously looking at the medicine and Harlan is talking about the fact that Ransom wouldn't be able to tell the difference between a stage knife and a real one. <gasps> I didn't even notice that. That is so good. <laughs> they were getting to this point, everything was ramping up and they're standing in front of this giant thing of knives and in my head I'm just like, he's going to stab her and it's not going to work. Mm. And... Uh, Obviously, it, it hit that point, and they're going down, and it's like the, the slow motion, which I feel like anyone that was actively invested in this film at that point could probably also just be like, yeah, he's not actually going to stab it. Like, yeah, <laughs> no, definitely. Um, but yeah, like it, it was it was this thing of... Uh, and it, I also had a, a feeling of, like, I wonder if they were going to eventually say something where like literally every single sword in this kind of a parody of game of thrones um throne uh that that is there like uh i wondered if they were going to say that all of them were fake like there, there, there mm-hmm. wasn't a single sharp knife in that entire bunch um but uh but obviously they they didn't bother with that and fair play to them that would have taken away a little bit of screen time and it wasn't necessary uh, but uh, yeah, I, I I found I found it was really fun when that happened because uh, especially since I knew it was going to happen, it was just fun watching the scene play out. Like I I didn't have that uh, that dread that something would happen to Martha. I was just uh, waiting for it to happen, which kind of uh, kind of gave me a different form of enjoyment for that scene. That is so fun. I had no idea. Like, I completely missed that line. So I love that this film does that. Like, there's so many great, like, kind of throwback moments um, that are so fun. And I just think, like, even the shot of her, like, on the floor and, like, her reaction with, like, the chair with the knives in the background. Like, it's just such a really interesting, like, like, aesthetic. The entire film has such an interesting aesthetic, I think, to it. That's, like, kind of spooky and creepy, but at the same time, like, this, like, dark, interesting, like, eccentric billionaire's house um, that, like, and I think everything also in the house, I think, has, like, a purpose as well, where, like, even in the beginning of the film, like, they're, sh- they're showing, like, these weird little figurines, and one thing I noticed the second time watching it is, like, one of the figurines is, like, someone kind of climbing up a ladder and like like there are little references to like what's going to happen in some extent so I just think that is really really cool that you know they're using like this fake knife from like this knife chair and like all these different really unique elements that like an actual billionaire probably would have in his house that it's like creepy 
and like fits the theme of it, but then also, you know, does make perfect sense. So it grounds it in this really interesting reality. Yeah, I I I was thinking about recently because uh, I, I don't know if, if you're aware, but they are going to be remaking Clue. Um, yep. Uh, Why? Yeah, you know, uh, yeah. I, I don't know. I honestly don't know. Um, mm. it, it's been in the works for several years at this point, and it seemed to just be kind of going back and forth uh, between not a good different sign. studios and stuff. Because <laughs> um, it, it was, I think it was with Fox for a bit, and of course, like, uh, Round about the time that they were going to start doing it was round about the time that Disney was going like, hey, hey, what, what are you doing over there? Let me have a look. Um, and uh, and then it was like, okay, uh, I think Ryan Reynolds was like signed on at some point, um, but I don't know to what extent. Uh, and then and then Fox ended up dropping it um, and stuff like that. Like so, it's it's been on the books for a while, but hadn't been made. And I. When thinking about this film, I was like, you know, I would actually enjoy seeing Ryan Johnson making a more serious clue. Mm-hmm. Like, I, I don't think you need to make a another comedy clue because we've seen what happens when people try and do that. Uh, but uh, I agree. but I, I feel like having him do a serious but also somewhat understanding what it is version of clue uh would be good um also random fun fact that a lot of people in america don't know uh in england it is not called clue at least the the game itself is not called clue Hmm. it is called cluedo cluedo yep don't ask me why i think that was my next question (laughs) yeah i have no idea why it's called cluedo in england yeah. Wow. The only thing I can think of is there must have been some kind of copyright thing because uh, I mean, obviously, obviously in it, England. Is the names uh, the same? Is it like Professor Plum? Is it Plumdo? <laughs> uh, yeah, no, as far as I know, uh, there's no other difference. Um, or the the characters are the same. Uh, the uh, the weapons are the same. The locations are the same. Obviously, unless you get yourself a a themed copy of the game. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, everything else is the same. It's just called Cluedo. It says to me that there was probably a game already called Clue when that came over, um, and it has since dropped into obscurity because I have no memory of any other game being called Clue when I was growing up. I need to look uh, this up because this uh, feels like the Mandela effect. This feels like one of those things that's like, like, someone would find, like, a Cluedo game at, like, a thrift store or something and be like, this was the real clue. Because especially if everything's the same, that's so freaky. Yeah, it, I I honestly have no idea. Um, like, I think, huh. Okay, well, once again, Americans decided to rename it. Uh, so, yeah, it was created as Cluedo in the UK in 1943. Um it was first manufactured in the UK in '49. Oh, it started uh, in the UK. Yeah, just oh, like okay. uh, that's fair. Just like uh, Where's Waldo? That was originally in the UK, and it's Where's Wally? Wow, we've stolen everything. <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sorry about Wasn't that. Wasn't gonna say, but since you brought it up, yes. <laughs> so I guess uh, what I should probably ask at this point is. What is your favorite scene 
in this film because obviously there's so many great moments and great plot threads and everything but is there any particular scene in this that uh, you feel really stood out Mm, that's a good question um i feel like a lot of the scenes between daniel craig and um marta's character um stood out to me like they're i think they have really good chemistry and i think the dialogue between them two is really interesting and good because you don't quite know either of their intentions especially i think that scene where he first asks her to kind of be a part of like solving the mystery like their dynamic in that scene is very interesting to me because you're like well what is his like does he think she did it like what is his like their whole like to me they it did a really good job um in those moments of just like keeping the mystery alive and like not really knowing whose side you should be on and plus also daniel craig's just monologue at the end um just like you know all this exposition, I think it's so difficult as an actor to be able to like, do a lot of exposition in a way that's still entertaining. And I think Daniel Craig does an amazing job of that. I don't know if it's his accent or just because he had so much fun with it. But um, I think just from my perspective, it takes a lot to be able to like make that kind of dialogue entertaining. And he did a great job of doing that. So I think like that scene at the end also really hit home for me. Yeah, I, I mean, Daniel Craig is amazing at, at some of the stuff he does. I mean, uh, yeah. regardless of how good the films themselves are, uh, like his portrayal of Bond has been probably my favorite mm-hmm. uh, out of all of them so far. I agree. Uh, not that I've seen all of them, I'll freely admit, but uh, I I have so far seen all of his except for... No Time to Die. Have have yet to watch that. Awesome. Will eventually watch it, I'm sure. Uh, but, um, yes, actually getting out to the cinema to see things um, uh, probably f- for the next year or so. Uh, not going to be super easy uh, just because, you know, five-year-old daughter. <laughs> not, uh, not super easy to work around that. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I still think, I mentioned it before, but the scene where he's getting all of their viewpoints on the night in question mm-hmm. like right at the beginning just just because of how well it's done that like, you get to hear all of them talking about it and then you get to see all of their viewpoints and yeah uh it it's so well put together that sometimes you it takes a second for you to realize hang on i'm seeing the same thing but it's different uh, mm-hmm. like i like i said you get to see them all standing next to him as the cake comes out so it's like oh well i was the one that was with dad when he got that and he was really happy that i was there um and it's like by the second one if you're actively looking for it like you notice it and you're like okay that's interesting and then it happens again (laughs) and you're like okay what's going on here and as you said before like you get a really good understanding of what each of the characters is like and what they think of themselves and also you really get a you do get a good idea even though the one police officer is saying that you know you know would would someone really kill for money would someone really kill for a relationship and it's like i almost felt like that's a tongue-in-cheek bit of dialogue right there Mm -hmm. because like yeah out of all like yeah there's basically that's weak source it's nothing and it's like 
that's almost every single police procedural drama ever to exist yeah. right there. It's it's always about a relationship or about someone being cheated out of money or about someone potentially losing something. And and in this film, obviously, you see that these characters are all scared to death of losing what they have. Mm-hmm. But ultimately, they're right. They don't that lead to him like to them trying to kill him they don't want him dead they don't want him to to do what he was going to do but they don't want him dead (laughs) so Mm -hmm. so it's it's really fun that they they put all of that in there but they then also don't necessarily pay it off because there's nothing to pay off from it but it was fun that they had all of that in there and then that was what we were able to use as the audience to build our understanding of what this family is and what this family is is dysfunctional yes. <laughs> absolutely dysfunctional um, and yeah like it, and it's so interesting as well because we don't get too much from Martha's family we, we see them mm-hmm. a few times in the film but you you don't you just don't see you just don't see much from them but you do fully understand that yeah, despite everything, this is a family that truly cares for each other, that is, you know, clearly clearly loves each other, doesn't they don't care that they aren't living in you know, in a palatial mansion somewhere. Like they're they're just together and they're always looking out for each other. And it's so interesting to see that they didn't even hang a lantern on it. Like there's not a single line of dialogue in there of the the people from Martha's family is saying, like, you know, oh, if only we had money, we could do this. Yeah. Uh, there's no one from uh, the other f- family just saying something like, yeah, yeah, oh, well, you know, you know, they're just, they're just so poor, they they wouldn't know what families like, like, you know, they they are the wealthy people are obviously looking down on them, but there's there's no line of dialogue that is explicitly saying anything about family dynamic, mm-hmm. like for that and and i thought it was really um really interesting and kind of fun that in this film where everyone says a lot like there's a lot of dialogue in yes. this film uh but uh but then there's like there is something that is uh like you know shown rather than said and uh and it is just that understanding that yeah this family dynamic from everything we learn is absolutely horrible and everything we see of Martha's family dynamics, it's like, no, they're, they're, they're the nice ones. <laughs> you know, they, mm-hmm. These people that don't have all of this money and all of these, <laughs> like, you know, they're, they're the ones just getting by. So it's it's, it's interesting. I, I, I enjoyed that. Well, yeah, one of my favorite sort of, I guess, callback moments is um, when Marta, there's that scene, um, you know, I forget who goes over to Marta and is like, don't worry, like, we want to take care of you, like, all of that. And then, I think it's Walt. Is it Walt? I think so. Okay. Uh, wait, when he shows up at the apartment and he's in the hallway. Oh no no! This is I like in the Walt. very very beginning. Um, um, um I, th- I I think it might be Joni that goes up to her and says, "Don't worry, we'll take care of you. You know, we want to take care of you or something like that." And then when she gets the money, she kind of flips it and she says, "Don't worry, I'll take care of you." You know, like. And it's, like, this very interesting thing of, like, you know, who has the power and, like, you know, you didn't look at 
that line as like kind of condescending before, but then now when it's like flipped, you're like, oh, that actually was kind of condescending, you know, for her to say yeah. that, you know, and it just gives you a different perspective on the on everything that that's been said almost by the family to her. Because it's like, do they have her best interest at heart? And you find out much later that, you know, they obviously don't, you know, when it came down to it. And they really could care less. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's always fun to, to get those sort of fl- flip on the head uh, moments and, and things like that. Yeah. It's, it, it's really cool to see. Um, what, one thing that I, I think, <clears throat> I think most people enjoyed from this, especially given that Chris Evans was fresh off of Captain America at this point, and you know, understandably, he was probably looking to do something a little different and to break away. Um, there is one scene where he is absolutely, definitely not Captain America anymore, <laughs> and you probably know which scene I'm referring to. Um, it uh, that would be the scene where he tells literally everybody in the room to eat shit mm-hmm. um and <laughs> and in case in case you didn't know uh, i am i'm about 90% certain that they initially wanted him to go around the room saying fuck you fuck you <laughs> fuck you uh but the studio stepped in and said no we can't do that <laughs> um Especially since if he'd said it more than a couple of times, that would have put it up to um, uh, like a hard R, which is stupid. Um, but uh, but yeah, no. <laughs> it, yeah, my favorite uh, my favorite part of that scene. If you listen really closely, you hear someone in the background go, "I'm not gonna eat one iota of shit." <laughs> it's just so yeah, good. I, yeah, it it it's really. Uh, it was a really fun moment and again uh like when you're watching it for the first time it really makes you think that ransom like doesn't care like you know as, as far as he's concerned like yeah you all had this coming like it <laughs> doesn't matter <laughs> and then as you get further down and you realize like he's one of the most cold calculating characters in the entire film and it's it's so well done because I mean uh, you know obviously his dad uh, is yeah you know, he he's relatively cold but like yeah you know, he weasels around trying to trying to get rid of any particular evidence that he's cheating his mother is just kind of stuck up really like yeah you know, she she's obviously she wants everyone to know that she's the brain she's the one that's running everything she's the one that did all the hard work to get her business and um and that was actually one thing that i was interested in from the end because it's made clear throughout the entire thing that she has created her own business and has done very well for herself so she's probably the least affected in the end by the fact that uh she doesn't have the inheritance anymore I think she yeah, was maddest about like the house. I think that was yeah. the where she was most upset. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it was quite clear to me that she was obviously mortified at the idea that she would no longer get this thing that she considered to be her 
inheritance, like hers. It was going to be hers. This would belong to her, and it's her family and all of this stuff. Uh, which, you know, to to some degree, absolutely correct. Like, you know, realistically, um, <laughs> under any other circumstances, she would have been the matriarch of the new family after her dad died. Uh, but... But yeah, it was it was so interesting that all of the other characters are quite clearly very annoyed that their money is drying up um, twice <laughs> because he was going to cut yeah. off most of them anyway. Um, and then he died so that they weren't going to be cut off and then they were cut off anyway. Uh, but, um, uh, but yeah, like, it, it was interesting to me because and um, you can kind of see it at the end of the film, when everyone turns around, like, you know, everyone else is just dejected. Like, like they, they've all now coming to terms with the fact that they don't have money. Mm-hmm. Um, but if you look at Jamie Lee Curtis, like, she's not, she's not heartbroken. She's not like, how do I get out of this mess now? Like, how do I, like, she's just angry. Well, her, and... her big character arc, too, was also, you know, finding out that her, her husband was cheating on her, you know? So yeah. I think that was, I think, like, I think finding that letter and, like, I think it reminded her that her dad was looking out for her at the end of the day. And I thought, I think she's the most understanding yeah. out of all of them. Yeah, I mean, she, I, I got, I got, you know, flavors of sort of just well played <laughs> like mm-hmm. uh, in in that look um you know obviously angered everything that's going on but um yeah like there, there was no point that i felt from her that she was worried about her financial situation it was entirely the family is what she was worried about and and yet from everyone else quite clearly it's well where's my money coming from now <laughs> you know Mm-hmm. Gotta get a job. Don't want to get a job. Uh, exactly. So I genuinely think that this film is one of those films that's just fairly unique. Um, like I don't think we're going to quite get something like it. Um, and I'm interested to see Knives Out two and Knives Out three. I'm absolutely going to watch them, but it's going to be intriguing to see what he does with them because yeah. Uh, again, if it was typical Hollywood, which I like to think Ryan Johnson is not not very often going the route of typical Hollywood, um, yeah, it would be copy paste for seventy five percent, and then write some new character names and the occasional new scene, and then move on to the third one, and you copy paste from the second one and do it again. Uh, but I feel like he's probably going to draw on other mysteries and other things and really, uh, I mean, I would assume, given that we're focusing more on uh, Blanc, that uh, we'll probably get some backstory in this one. Oh. Maybe, I mean, maybe it'll be he goes and solves a mystery in the place where he got his start or something like that, you know? Well, it's, um, it's set in Italy, isn't it? Or it's set somewhere international, I believe. See, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm not sure what... Uh, I remember, like, seeing, see like, um, now filming Knives Out 2 in some place that's not America. <laughs> yeah, I mean, 
I mean, that would kind of make sense, especially given the character's... And given I mean, the, the character's budget. name and the character's accent do not match. No, not at all. <laughs> which is, I would love it if in the next movie fun. he has a totally different accent. And it's just like every movie has a different accent and they're full of like crazier and crazier. And you're just like, I don't even know what the real accent on this guy is. I would love that. Yeah, he just, he puts on an accent that is just different from whoever he's around. Uh, just to mess with everyone. Exactly. <laughs> uh, so no one really knows uh, where he's from. Yeah. <laughs> Supposedly, doing a quick look at some of the... Um, filming occurred for a month in on an island in Greece. Greece! Um, Not Italy. There you go. Yeah, because I, re- I remember reading it and being like, wow, I wish I was filming Knives Out too in Greece. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, principal photography was done in Greece um, and then... Uh, the or was halfway complete and and then the rest will be outside of Greece, but it um, didn't say where. But filming has officially wrapped. Oh, as of September 13th. All right, then we should so, see something uh, the next year. Yeah, that that could be very interesting. I I'm looking at the the cast list, um, and so you got Daniel Craig returning, and then everyone else doesn't have a character name next to it, which is fun. <laughs> um, you got uh, Dave Bautista. Edward Norton, isn't it? Ethan Hawke. Um, I am not going to be able to pronounce this last name because it has an accent in it. Um, but it's uh, Janelle Monet. Oh, yeah, Janelle Monet. She's uh, a singer, I'm pretty sure. I don't know if she was an actress, too. Yep, a singer, rapper, and actress, apparently. Um, Catherine Hahn is in it. Leslie Oden Jr., Kate Hudson, uh, Madeline Klein, and Jessica Henwick. Wow. So, obviously, very different cast to the one that we had before. And uh, I'm intrigued to see where this is going to go because uh, uh, Netflix has made the deal. So it's going to be coming out on Netflix rather than. I mean, I'm sure they'll do a theatrical release for it. Mm-hmm. But, uh, you know, it'll be on Netflix as well. So. <laughs> well, that's good. Um, don't even have to leave your house. <laughs> so I don't have an excuse to not watch it <laughs> for two years. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I think, uh, yeah, definitely it would be great to have you back for that one. Once that's on. Um, Happy to come back. <laughs> and obviously uh, three, we'll put a pin in and see when that one comes out. But, uh, uh, but yeah, um, uh, may as well start wrapping things up for this then. So uh, do you have any uh, any particular thoughts that we didn't have time to get to in, uh, in the last hour? I think the only thing I just wanted to... I guess highlight is I really I, I know that this is like controversial a little bit people don't always like endings like this but I do like the fact that it came down to Marta being a good person like the fact that she was a good person with a good heart is kind of what saved her in the end um and it's a bit cheesy I know but I do like the fact that like you know the lesson in all of this was that Marta won because she didn't play their game and I really really liked that yeah yeah, no, it, it's and it, it's something that again you don't see too often. At least you don't see it done well too often. Um, yeah, you, you have the protagonist that wins because they're the protagonists, um, <laughs> and uh, very, very, very rarely you have a villain that wins uh, because that's more interesting. But yeah, like to have a character stick to their stick to their guns as much as she does and. Like even it's very much built into her character because you know her defining characteristic you could say in this is the fact that she uh cannot effectively lie yes 
uh, you know, she obviously can lie, but you're going to find out. <laughs> so, yeah, that that was um, that was good. And and again, uh, one quick thing as well. You can you see right at the beginning that she is capable of holding it in for a undetermined amount of time, but you know clearly not too long because she does lie to the detective and then walks out of the room, goes into the toilet, and then throws up in it. Mm-hmm. So yeah, kind of building that in because obviously we see right at the beginning when they first get her to lie, like it's about ten seconds. Um, so, you know, if they'd have just left it at that, then her holding it in at the end would have been, you know, be like, well, hang on, like, if she can hold it up, and whatever, but, uh, yeah, like, they, they then put in that other one, and it's just like, uh, you know, oh, she was lying, and then, like, you don't think about it, but then, like, when it happens again at the end, you realize, like, oh, no, like, yeah, she can, she can hold it back, but not, not forever. <laughs> um, yeah. So, yeah, it's, uh. Eventually it comes yeah. up, but, you know, she has some control over mm-hmm. it. Because she also lies when he comes to arrest, um, when he comes to arrest Hugh um, in the car. And then she has to throw up in, like, the cup, you know? So yeah. there's definitely, like, she's able to hold it in for sure. I enjoyed it. I It's also something that you just would never think of. Like, mm-hmm. how do you come up with a character that literally throws up when they lie? <laughs> I know, like, where does that even start? Like, you know, you wonder where your mind goes. Yeah, and that, like, that that's almost, you know, that's Steve Rogers times three, like, you know, or to the power of three. It's just, like, like it's so wholesome. It's, uh, <laughs> funnily enough, it's so wholesome, it's sickening. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's just insane that, they'd come up with that as an idea and uh i guess it's kind of the concept uh, like, when you're writing it's like well how do i want this character to be portrayed wholesome honest you know truthful you know what are the qualities of that person well they typically can't lie well what happens if she lies and then like what's the worst thing that could possibly happen you know just kind of breaking it down there and taking those extremes i think is kind of yeah, probably the direction they went in with it yeah and it, yeah i mean obviously yeah what is a physical reaction you can have that makes it obvious that there's been a lie? And, you know, uh, and then, again, taking it down that route, you know, having her have effectively a seizure. Number one, uh, that's awful. Uh, and then number two, that could potentially be seen as either having fun at or further stigmatizing people who do experience seizures for whatever reason. Mm-hmm. And then also... From a purely optics point, like that wouldn't be good cinema. That like, especially given the number of times that she lies in the film, like, yeah, that. I mean, that would be hell for the actress. It's a to totally go. different movie. Yeah, that's a horror movie almost. <laughs> yeah, uh, but then okay, well, you know, maybe she had a rash. Like, well, okay, now we can't do that. And then it's like, what if she throws up? Ah, mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. At, at least it's not the other end. Yeah, that would make it. The, that would actually be like a, a scary movie parody of this. Yeah. Uh, if they were doing it. A scary like, that's movie absolutely parody. Absolutely the route sure. they would go. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, going to be an SNL skit or a South Park skit for sure. Yeah, I could definitely see South Park going that way. And, and they do it very well because those boys have gotten better with time. I don't know how they've done it. <laughs> like, <laughs> every other show in existence tends to go downhill after a certain point. 
but South Park, regardless of if you're still following the plot, like the actual stuff that they're doing is amazing. So, and with that, uh, <laughs> I think we've we've covered pretty much all of uh, Knives Out that uh, that uh, is worthy of note at this point. Uh, but uh, yeah, if if anyone listening to this does want to point out the obvious thing that we missed, how dare we not have talked about it? Uh, please do get in touch on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram at Blockbusters. Uh, you can email us the blokes at blokebusters.com uh, you can go to blokebusters.com it's a lovely little website and i definitely say that because i'm the one that put it together um but, uh, uh, but yeah and uh, yeah check us out get a hold of us love uh, love having conversations with everyone and uh speaking of uh janelle where can people find you uh you can follow me on instagram and twitter at at janelle megan that's j a-N-E-L-L-E-M-E-G-H-A-N. And yeah, if you have thoughts yeah. on Knives Out or any recommendations for mystery movies, please send them my way because I'm on a mystery movie kick and I need stuff to watch in between watching Castle. <laughs> <laughs> yes, you got to supplement your mystery TV show with a bit more mystery because there's not enough mystery. Uh, <laughs> but, I need uh, all the mysteries yes. to solve. <laughs> Indeed, yes. Uh, I mean, if you, uh, personally myself, if you haven't, I recommend Sherlock. Um, I have but, seen uh, Sherlock. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> but I should re- right, I should rewatch uh, it, honestly. Yeah, I mean, uh, it it definitely holds up to real. It's actually um, just real quick tangent at the end here. It is really interesting to watch it all in one go mm. because you get to see the the fresh faced benedict cumberbatch and (laughs) martin freeman and then you get to like over the course of several seasons you get to see them really grow into the character and really kind of find their footing and then at the end it's very much something that uh, i know a lot of people didn't like the last season um but i felt it was a very fitting send-off especially um you know, no, I'm not. I'm not going to finish that sentence because uh, that references the end of the season, and no people that haven't spoilers. seen it, I don't want to spoil what happens. So. <laughs> we can't spoil Sherlock uh, on a Knives Out. <laughs> no, absolutely not. Can't do that. <laughs> people will not be prepared. <laughs> they will not. <laughs> All right. Uh, well, once again, thank you very much for coming on. Always a blast having you. Thank you. This was so much fun. <laughs> And thank everyone for listening, and uh, we'll see you next time. Bye. In case I don't see you, good afternoon, good evening, and good night. Hang on a minute, lads. I've got a great idea. Uh. Louis, I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. You're still here? It's over. Go home. Go.